Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon, sometimes known as Johnny Mac. And I'm joined by my friend and colleague, John Kaplan, sometimes known as Johnny Cap. Cap, how are you, brother? I'm doing fantastic, buddy. Fantastic. I'm really excited for our segment today. Yeah. It's, yeah. A couple months ago, we posted a podcast with Tony Paranello, who has become the nation's foremost expert on executive selling. Tony is the author of the super best-selling book, Selling to Vito, Vito being the very important top officer. Cap, you and I know it's a book that many consider a classic in the sales world. And Tony's written other bestsellers like Think and Sell Like a CEO, Stop Cold Calling Forever, Getting the Second Appointment, the Complete Idiot's Guide to Dynamic Selling and the Power of Will. Now, Cap, if you remember in the original podcast we did with Tony, it was the most listened to episode in 2022 for the Revenue Builders podcast, yep. where Tony discussed the importance of getting to veto, how most reps get blocked by a low-level manager, which causes them to lose the sale, and then he discussed how we could avoid being pigeonholed by a lower level manager and gaining access to Vito. So today, what we wanted to do is bring Tony in for round two, dig a little deeper on the tactics of when we meet with Vito. So Tony Paranello, welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me again. And, and, and thanks for those kind words about you're welcome. You're welcome. So, Tony, last time we spoke, you outlined the many reasons why salespeople need to get to veto early in the sales process. Vito being the very important top officer, which could be a CEO, a president, business owner, C-suite executive, or a high-level decision maker that reports to a veto. And in this podcast, we want to speak more about the tactics once we get to veto. So to ground the audience, let's review the key parameters that Vito truly cares about. The key metrics that Vito's are looking for, you know, um, we could do a lot of research on a company before we pick up the telephone and make a call, but I don't want to suggest that we numb out doing research. So I have a short list of results that I feel Vito's are looking for, and it seems to hold true for just about any industry and just about any size company that's selling in the free world and isn't attached to some government agency. So we're talking about a, a business that's for profit. Um, and the vetoes who are running those types of businesses really care about four or five things. Their to-do list is really short, probably the shortest of any person in the organization. 
I've often experienced this where when you start at the top and you work your way down, the to-do list of the people as you get lower and lower in the organization gets longer and longer. But yeah. if you look at those to-do lists, you know, it starts with shareholder value. Now, even if they're a privately held company, they always are concerned about margins and shareholder value, whether they're publicly traded or privately held. Now, to increase margins, there are four or five areas that Vito's concerned about. First of all, revenue. So think about revenue and think about how you can help Vito overachieve their revenue plan, whether that's getting high margin add-on business from existing customers or finding new customers or helping Vito find new customers. So revenue and increasing revenue and overachievement of their revenue goal is super important to them. Second is how to contain costs or move from an unpredictable uh, variable cost environment to a very predictable forecastable cost environment. Number three on Vito's list is increasing the efficiencies and effectiveness of anything or everything or anybody or everybody in their organization. And then, of course, there's helping Vito make better decisions and mitigating risks. So risk management and what's starting to show up on the radar screen for Vito's these days is sustainability. Uh, what are their sustainability initiatives and, and how are they doing with overachievement, overachievement of those? So if you just look at those areas, uh, now, of course, the importance of those are going to move around a little bit. But if you just focus on those areas and ask yourself, how does my product, service, or solution help Vito in any one of those areas? So th that's like the short list of, of Vito's, to, what's on the short list of their to-do list. I like that, Tony. And to get level set and grounded, um, Johnny and I talk about a lot of a principle called an ideal customer profile. And we talk about <clears throat> being very, very focused on making sure you're calling on the right types of accounts. And we, that's not necessarily what we're going to talk about today. But what I love is that you have kind of an ideal veto profile and you have a kind of an extension of that. So to get us grounded, we're going to be talking about, you know, talking to Vito, getting to Vito, what we're saying, how we say it today. I want you to get us grounded a little bit on, on your thoughts on how to make sure we're targeting the right vetoes. Okay. This is a good place for us to start because before we pick up the 3000 pound phone or send out a LinkedIn invite or whatever, let's make sure we're sending it to the best pre-qualified and predisposed veto to buy from us. Okay, now if we stop and think about this for a moment, uh, let's look over our shoulder in the last six sales we've made. And, and let's dive, let's do a deep dive into the accounts we made those last six sales to and, and ask yourself and find some easily identifiable traits they have. And this is a, like a no-brainer. You could do this in 10 minutes. You could figure out, you know, what's the size of the company, the revenue, the employee count, how many campuses do they have? Did you sell it to the home office or some remote office? Um, what was the buying process like? And, and what were the titles of people that you sold to? And then perhaps more important is their ranking. 
their ranking in the industry. Are they the fifth largest financial institute? Are they the third largest telecommunications company? So their relative ranking in their industry is really important. Um, and ask yourself, did they grind you down on price? Were they always looking for the lowest price provider? So let's just take those characteristics, look over your shoulder, look at the last six accounts and figure that out. Now, when you show up for, for work tomorrow or you get into your home office and you're ready to pick up the 3,000 pound phone, make sure the prospect, the veto in that prospect that you're gonna call is a perfect match to those easily identifiable traits and characteristics. I have a perfect, a perfect example of this. Um, I was honored to have a business relationship in training the third largest telecommunications company in the world. After I went through their organization, trained all their salespeople, I just went after the second largest telecommunications company in the world. And then after I trained all the people in the second largest, <clears throat> I went after the largest telecommunications company in the world. And I landed all three, <clears throat> pardon me, in a very short period of time. <clears throat> pardon me. So what does that tell me? That tells me that if the third largest telecommunications companies buying from me have a lot in common with the second largest. As a matter of fact, the second largest is probably looking over their shoulder and saying, I don't want those folks to catch up with me. And so this is a real important characteristic to lead us to the perfect pre-qualified and predisposed vetoes to buy from us. Does that make and sense? Johnny, it does. And Johnny McMahon, you and I talk about like responsibility and ownership. And when we talk to companies, we are not only encouraging them, but, you know, really holding them accountable for this is what they owe to their sellers. So we're taking this a little bit of an extension. So we're big on a company owes to a seller an ideal customer profile, which says based upon this type of a customer profile, this value proposition that we have, the differentiation that we have, the position in the marketplace that we have, what our products do and, and uh, the types of personas that it resonates with. So as you're listening to this today, if you're a leader out there and Tony talks about Tony came up with these things because he probably he had to come up with them because he didn't get it. Uh, you know, I'm not dogging any companies or anything, but, but we strongly encourage companies to take ownership of this and the execution of an ideal customer profile and an execution of targeting the ideal veto is where the individual contributor comes up says, okay, my company has provided me with this information. Now it's my job to hold myself accountable that I go and own the execution. Johnny McMahon, I know that's a big one for you as you talk to companies, that connection there. I love that taking responsibility. You know, it's interesting. Your company goes through all this work to gather all this information. And, and, and now it's time for the seller to take the responsibility and executing on it. I love that. And it's about accountability, you know, it is, it is. Okay. So let's, let's keep going down one more layer. And, and we've talked, um, uh, we, we talked a lot about, um, the, what, in our last, in kind of our first uh, segment with you today, we're going to talk about, um, and thank you for back by popular demand. 
um, people were asking about the how. So as you know, you've been talking about speaking in terms of solving business problems, not features and functions. That's what we talked about in segment one. But I know you have a great framework to do this. So can you kind of dig into that framework a little bit deeper of how to speak the language of veto? Yeah, you bet. So I mean, picture, picture veto for a moment sitting in their office, the president, CEO, owner, another privileged C-suite executives. What's going to snag the intentional area of their brain? You know, it's, it's certainly to your point that you just made, not a feature or a function. I call them F words, you know, uh, words that are unfamiliar to them. So, so how do we construct a message to veto, whether that's a telephone opening statement or a voicemail message, or you want to write something to them? There's certain rules of engagement that I want to talk about. The first rule of engagement is... Forget the word I. The word I should be totally out of your vocabulary. And like I wanted to know or I was wondering if or, or I had an idea. These executives, these vetoes don't care about us until they understand what we could do for them. And so take the word I out of your vocabulary. Just replace it with the word we or our you know, we suspect or our team of experts, whatever. So take the word I and just throw it away. Now, that's not easy to do. So when you write something before you push send, look through it, make sure you take all the eyes out of it and, and get to the point where you put Vito's best interests first. That's number one. Number two is forget about what you want, you know, you know, my manager's all over my back to get appointments, to do demos, to make presentations. So I got to book some demos. I got to book some appointments. I got to book some presentations. Forget about what you want and think about what Vito wants. So never, ever, ever ask a Vito for an appointment. They spend their entire day telling people what to do. So <laughs> when someone shows up, in the form of a quick note or an opening statement or a voicemail message asking them for an appointment, they're more likely to say, nah, I'm too busy. And so forget about asking for an appointment. Instead, we're going to set up a situation where Vito's going to tell us what to do. So picture you, you have the keys to the bus in your hand. You want to toss them to Vito and let Vito make the decision or have Vito tell you what to do. The end of your conversation with Vito, if, if just lying flat here in this, Vito's not telling you what to do, you can ask them very simply, what would you like to meet? What would you like for me to do next? Or which one of your trusted advisors would you like for me to continue this conversation with between now and the end of this week? Now, notice in that statement that I just made, I asked Vito which one of your trusted advisors, would you like for me to connect with or talk with or continue this conversation with between now and the end of this week? Time. We must always put a time limit to everything we do with Vito because they live in a time compressed world. So think about this. The words we use, how we say them and when we say them, we're going to sound just like a Vito. 
Picture two vetoes making a sales call. Picture the company, your president or your CEO of your company making a sales call on another veto. They're very brief. They're very direct. They're very to the point. They ask open-ended questions. They ask questions that only veto can answer, which leads me to the next point. Never ask a veto a question that you should know the answer to or you do know the answer to. You want to ask Vito smart business qualifying questions. And so at the end of everything we write to Vito, we should always ask a question. Our correspondence should be interactive. They should prompt Vito or to answer that or prompt Vito to send us to or send the correspondence to the person they hold most responsible to get done whatever you're presenting to Vito that you can possibly do for them. So that's, that's a little bit of this. There's another point here that I see salespeople doing all the time. We talk too much. We go too far into what we can probably do. Vito's are whole brain thinkers. They're always going to be looking at the upside and the downside of every opportunity that lands on their voicemail, in their inbox, or the person they happen to be talking to. They're going to look at the upside and the downside. Now, if you just look at human psychology for a moment here, we are all motivated by one of two things, either moving towards a desirable outcome or away from pain doom, dis disaster, and some unattractive situation. We're either moving towards something we don't want or away from something we don't want. Two benefits. That's all we need in every correspondence that we send to Vito or any opening statement or any voicemail message. Initially, two. One that you either know through your research or you suspect Vito wants to move towards. And the other, you either know through your research or you suspect that Vito wants to avoid. So two benefits articulated in either hard dollar value or soft dollar value in everything we say or write to Vito. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, you have to put it, as you said, in terms of those parameters that you outlined, revenue, profitability, efficiency, risk or compliance. The minute that you don't speak in that language is the minute that you get relegated to who you sound like. That's exactly so, I can remember when I learned this very early on selling computer aided design systems and we tried to get up very high to the vetoes. Yeah. I used to say to the reps, like, if I even hear you chirp the acronym computer aided design, yeah. I'm going to take you outside and beat you up because we're going to get thrown out of the office. Right. So because the, He's the veto's going to hear, oh, computer aided design. I have a person four levels below me that handles that. And now we're never getting back in that office. So you have to talk in terms of process and how your process can affect those four parameters. And then you get to stay in the meeting with vetoes because you don't want to get relegated to who you sound like. You don't want to speak 
features, functions, technology, none of that stuff. It's what your product does for Vito that he cares about. You know, you mentioned a really important word there. I want to focus on it for just one minute. The word process. Every successful Vito has a process in place for doing everything they want to measure and achieve. Processes are critically important for us to show Vito that we have, whether we're leaving voicemail messages or we're sending them correspondence, we need to follow an identifiable process so Vito sees what we're doing and can identify with it. So this is why examining our sales process and examining our prospecting process is so critically important because like an apple pie, when you're making an apple pie, there's a recipe and you put the ingredients in a certain order at a certain time, in a certain way, in a certain measurement, and you get an edible apple pie. If you don't follow the process, you're going to wind up with a hockey puck. And so following a process is critically important in our veto approach. Yeah. yeah. So Tony, Johnny, I want to go back to one second, Johnny, I want to go back to something Tony said before um, personally hold accountable for. So if it was early in the sales process, sometimes I would call the veto, speak in those languages of what my company did for other companies in their industry. And my only ask from them was, could you tell me who you personally hold accountable for? Let's say it was, you know, profitability on, on engineering process, then I'd say, who do you personally hold accountable for profitability on engineering process? Now I had the name. Now I could go down one or two levels, whatever that might be, and tell that person that I spoke to Vito and he said, or she said that they personally hold you accountable for this and that I should speak with you. Yeah. That gave me credibility when I'm speaking to that person and saved a big, a lot of time in the sales process because now out of a 50 or hundred thousand person organization, I figured out the one person that Vito holds accountable for that. What do you think about that? I mean, that's spot on. That's absolutely spot on. I mean, if you think about this, if you're speaking with Vito and you ask that question, there's a number of different ways to ask that question, but you ask that question and Vito says, well, I want you to go talk to my COO. She's driving the bus on this. So on your way to the COO, to your point, you call the COO. If they're not in on their voicemail, all you have to say is, you know, just hung up the phone with your president. She thought it was important for us to have a chat. Give me a call. Done. They're not going to ignore you because you're getting sent there to the person that they report to. And so it's, it's a lay down. It's, it's absolutely perfect. Now, the same thing holds true if you're talking to Vito's private assistant. Wind the tape all the way back in the language that you use to talk to that private assistant. Forget Vito exists. Talk to them like they're Vito. And you will be granted access to either them or they're going to send you to the person that Vito would normally send you to. So this rule of engagement for Vito holds true for Vito and their private assistant. And to your point, 
when you're sent somewhere, the first words out of your mouth is the person who sent you because they thought it was important for us to have a conversation. And so it's absolutely golden. No question about it. Okay, so let's stay. Hang there. on so, now. Hold it, hold it, Johnny. You all big right, brains. Let's hold the fort here. Here we you go. Big yeah, brains, yeah. You big brains have just blown over 90% of what are like the really hard parts. These are these are awesome comments that you're making. Our listeners are stuck right now at we talked a little bit about preparation. We did a great job kind of talking about preparation and kind of the ideal veto profile, if you will. Now we're kind of moving into the execution piece. You, it, we kind of blew over a little bit. Like we got people that are struggling with just like opening statements, Tony. Okay. Would you mind just spending, and then we'll get into what, if you guys could help me with some process and structure and God help us if Kaplan's the one that's got to bring process and structure to the conversation. <laughs> but if you could just spend some time like breaking it down, like let's talk about, opening statements and just get that nailed. When okay. we get there, what do we open with? We talked about kind of how to get there in the last podcast. When we get there, what do we open with? And then Johnny, we can move into. Okay. okay but, and I want to go just one be one before you. Yeah. You know, we drummed up the courage to call veto. Yeah. Let's walk through the three potential outcomes that could happen. Yeah. Yes. And based upon that, Go to your point, Johnny. Okay. Yeah. There's three yep. things that can happen when you when you pick up the phone, that three thousand pound phone, and you call Vito. So Tony, take it from there. So so the three great outcomes to your point when you pick up the three thousand pound phone. First of all, Vito might answer the phone, and and oddly enough, in my personal experience, about twenty percent of the time. Vito picks up their own phone unprotected. And I don't care how many private assistants they have. So you have to be prepared, John, to your point, having an opening statement when Vito picks up the phone. That's mm. uh, that's good outcome. Number one, we'll get to the pieces of that in a second. The second great outcome, if Vito doesn't pick up, Vito's private assistant's going to pick up. So we have to be ready for Vito's private assistant picking up the phone. phone. The third great outcome, you're going to get dumped into voicemail. And I... In, in my world of the three, the most powerful is voicemail because you lay it down and it lives on. Yeah. Vito, listen to it, take action upon it, send it to someone else. And so voicemail in my world is probably of all three, the most powerful way to get to Vito. Now, so 20%, 25% Vito is going to pick up. The rest of the 75% is split almost down the middle between Vito's private assistant and voicemail. So, Johnny K., let's, let's talk about Vito picking up the phone and the opening statement. Yeah. There's five pieces to it. Now, Vito doesn't know there's five pieces to it, but I want to know there's five pieces to do it because I'm following a process. And so, first of all, uh, when Vito picks up the phone, we don't know what they're doing. I mean, they might be signing checks, patting backs, scaring babies. Who the heck knows what they're doing in their office there? It's very busy. So when Vito picks up the phone and says, hi, this is Vito, all you have to do is say, Ms. Importante, the president of the ABC company, you say their formal name and their title. Go, so, yep, that's me. Okay, now you know Vito's on the line. Now there's a choice. The second part of this is a choice. 
you can use a pleasantry, which is not how are you today? Or is this a good time? Or the purpose of my call is none of that stuff. A pleasantry could be something as simple as thanks for taking my call or thanks for picking up the phone or what a surprise to get you live. So a pleasantry is like your thumbprint. Okay. And, and I want you to think about this and stay away from the, how are you today? Or is this a good time? You don't want to say anything like that, but it has to be something unique like your thumbprint. Now, you have a choice here after you say that. You can either introduce yourself if you want, or you can introduce what I choose to call social proof. And here's why social proof is important to Avito. They have a strong external frame of reference. They want to know what's going on in the industry and everything around them. That's not like most of the people down in Linoleumville that we're used to calling on who have a strong internal frame of reference. They don't care what anybody else is doing. They know what they do. And so with Vito's, they have a wide angle lens. They have a strong external frame of reference. And here's a good time to introduce social proof. Now, social proof is not mentioning the name of one of their competitors that you happen to be doing business with. Don't ever do that because Vito may have just lost a big deal to them. So here's the thing. Social proof uses relative ranking name dropping. Now, what the heck is that? Is this this a phrase for me to say to you? No, here's what it is. Let's just say I'm doing business with the fifth largest financial institute in the tri-state area. I could say coincidentally the fifth largest financial institute in the tri-state area relies upon us to, now hold on that thought, if Vito's in the tri-state area and they are the 10th largest or the sixth largest, pointing back to what we talked about earlier about understanding where your customers stack up, this is very relevant to Vito because they care about them because they're either chasing to get ahead of them or they're chasing to stay ahead of them or they're running to stay ahead of them. So relative ranking social proof is critically important, but it has to be relevant and scalable to Vito's organization. Okay. Keywords. So now after you say your pleasantry, <laughs> what a surprise to get you live. <laughs> Coincidentally, the fifth largest financial institute in the tri-state area is relying upon us too. And now we go right into the third part of our opening statement, which is that towards and away statement that I mentioned earlier. Um, think about your very best customer that you just related to and just laid out a social proof. What are you helping them to achieve while you're helping them to avoid something? Just pick two. Don't go down a whole list of stuff. Just pick one thing that you, and, and it, it could be based upon your suspicion about this company you're calling that they want to do or a little research you did. A toward statement and a way and time, the, the element of time. That's this towards and a way. That's the third part. Fourth part of your opening statement if you haven't yet said your name, you could introduce yourself. 
This is, you have a choice here. Some salespeople say, well, I got to tell them who I am right out of the gate. It's rude not to do that. Then tell them right in your pleasantry. That's fine. I like to wait until I get the towards and away statement out of my mouth because the number one goal of our opening statement is to get interrupted and never finish it. So where do you think you'll get interrupted so far in this opening statement? It's either going to be in the social proof where Vito might say, well, who is that company you're talking about that's relying upon you? Or it's in your towards and away statement. So the sooner I get that out of my mouth, the better off I am. So I'll hold off on saying my name. Now, I've been doing this for years and I got lots of stories about this, but I can't tell you how many times I go through an entire opening statement, never saying my name. And then someone will say to me, what did you say your name was? And I feel like saying, look, I never told you. And so you could then say your name after the towards and away statement. If you're not interrupted, you say your name and your company name. And then the fifth part of this is an ending question, an ending question that is not a closed ended question. As a matter of fact, whoever came up with a closed-ended question, we should find the person and just export them to someplace else because closed-ended questions are answered with a yes or a no. It gives us a 50-50 chance of getting what we want. Those are bad odds. So a closed-ended question would be stupid to say to Vito, like, oh, is this of interest to you? No, take a hike. So we don't use closed-ended questions in an ending question. We use an open-ended or opinion-based or a compound question, always with the element of time. Ms. Importanta, what's the best way for us to pursue this opportunity for you and your company between now and the end of the first quarter? Done. I never want to get to the ending question. My goal is to get interrupted in that towards and away statement. Play that out to the other two uh, areas of the three outcomes whether Tommy picks up or we get dumped into voicemail, which we'll talk about next. But John, that's, those are the five areas of an effective veto telephone opening statement. I love okay, that. So now you make you... the opening statement, right? You're in the conversation. You get interrupted. Johnny, before you do that, before you do that, you have to stay on because I'm sorry to interrupt you, it, but it's going to be brutal to go back. You, 90% of the feedback we get is I can't get anybody on the phone. We can have a whole podcast on how we believe you can get people on the phone, but let's just stay on the voicemail or the email because yeah. that's where the majority of our listeners are telling okay. us is saying, Hey yes. man, yeah. those five steps that you just said, it would be awesome if I could get somebody on the phone, but I can't get anybody on the phone. So would you do me a favor and just translate that now to can't get the person on the phone, but I still have the opportunity to make an impact. Yes. Okay. Voicemail, super powerful tool for us to use when we use it properly. Now, um, I have a sequence of four voicemail messages Four. the first one is basically our opening statement. As a matter of fact, each of the four voicemail messages I use are gonna have a process, a format. Here's the format. It starts with something I'm gonna to choose to call an opening bookend, all right? Just picture a bookend holding books, opening bookend. Then it's gonna go into my veto storyline, which is a book. And then it's gonna end with a 
closing bookend. There's three very simple parts. Opening bookends can be something as simple as for the first voicemail message, Mr. Benefito, if you were in your office to take my call, we could have had a conversation about, that's an opening bookend for our first voicemail message. Now watch how this plays out. What do you think? What are, just think about my opening statement. I said, if I preface it with that bookend, what I could say next is, the fifth largest financial institute in the tri-state area relies upon us to, and now I go right into that towards and away statement, right? The, 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 I call it veto speak. It's the storyline. The towards and away statement comes next after the opening bookend. The closing bookend could sound something as simple as this. Mr. Benefito, this topic might be important to both of our organizations. That's why you'll be hearing from me on exact day, date, and time you're going to call Vito. So, uh, Mr. Benefito, uh, this topic might be important to both of our organizations. That's why you'll be hearing from me again on Thursday at 9 a.m. Um, if this is an inconvenient time, please feel free to call me. And now I'll leave my phone number. Have a masterful rest of the day. Bye-bye. Hang up. Now, that's voicemail message number one. Your second voicemail message, and you've got to wait a couple of days now. Don't get all weird if, like, if Vito doesn't call you back in two days, like, oh, I did a bad job leaving the voicemail message. They don't believe in what I can do. Don't put this on you. They're busy. There's a lot going on. Wait two or three days. If you don't get a call back from Vito or one of Vito's trusted advisors, you launch on Vito again. Voicemail message number two, opening bookend. Mr. Benavito, this is Tony Paranello calling as promised. Mm. So now I'm attaching my second voicemail to the first one because I'm saying I'm calling as promised, which means... Back to personal accountability, folks. If you say on your first voicemail message that you're going to call Vito at Thursday at 10 o'clock or whatever, and Thursday at 10 o'clock, you blow it off and you don't do it, you will have lost what little credibility you had initially. And so when you do this, your accountability, you're showing up at the right time, shows Vito that you are following a process and you're committing to something and you're doing it. So you have integrity and you're following a process. Now, the storyline. So that was the opening bookend. It's Tony Paranello calling his promise. The storyline. In addition to, I add something, in addition to doing the towards and helping away, we can also, or now you could introduce your return on investment. In addition to doing A, moving towards this and moving away from that, we have a proven track record of delivering up to 300% return on investment in the first 12 months. And then year after year, increases are experienced in this return on investment. So you add something to the story of your first 
voicemail message, just like you would in a conversation with Vito when they would interrupt you and say, well, tell me a little bit more about this, what you can do and what you can help us not do or whatever. So you continue your storyline. Now, closing bookend, you can invite a shunt, say, Mr. Benefito, uh, perhaps it would be uh, easier for one of your trusted advisors to return my call. Uh, and, and so you can offer a shunt on your second voicemail message, or you could just let them know that they'll be hearing from you again at another day, date and time. And here again, at another day, date and time, you're gonna pick up the phone and it shouldn't be the next day. Give yourself a couple of days in between. Voicemail message number three combines emails with your voicemail. You can start, once again, your opening bookend. Mr. Benefito, Tony Parallelo again, calling at the time you promised. Perhaps it would be better for me to send you an email. Tomorrow morning, you'll be receiving an email and the subject line is, let them know what the subject line is. Now, my personal style with subject lines, it's always about attaching the subject line to my next step in the process. <laughs> so the subject line is going to be our first conversation on Wednesday. And now I'll pick a date out like a week from now. That's the email you'll be getting. Um, the email is going to condense what we possibly can do for your organization, along with asking you three critical questions. If you answer those questions, it will make our first conversation even more meaningful. And then you close the email, I close the voicemail with the day, date, and time that you're going to follow up. And so now you send this email. You said you'd send it by close of business tomorrow, whenever you send it. And the email has a very special format. <clears throat> it's hard at this point on this podcast to show you this format, but rest assured that it's a format that includes what you said you can possibly do, along with three business qualifying questions for Vito to answer that only Vito can answer. It spins around their personal expectations of anyone, including your company, that can do what you're talking about doing. So it's all about Vito's personal expectations and goals and plans and objectives. Those are the questions. And, and we can talk about what those questions look like or whatever, but rest assured, you're going to send the email after the voicemail. Now you wait, you wait. If you don't get a call back, voicemail message number four closes the door of the opportunity. It is your last voicemail message. And it's positioned in such a way that it reviews what you think you can do, but tells Vito that perhaps there's a better way to do this. Perhaps you're too busy, we're busy. You'll be hearing from me in 90 days. During that time, please keep in mind, and now you go through the areas that you feel you can help Vito's company that they're not going to be able to take advantage of, and you close 
this voicemail with the invitation for Vito or one of their trusted advisors to reach out to you. You leave this alone for 30, 60, or 90 days, and you will be surprised. Well, I should say, don't be surprised that if you get the voicemail message and you take it away, like, okay, we're done. Let's give it a rest, 90 days, but here's the consequence of not getting back to me in that 90 days. Um, don't be surprised if you get the call back on that fourth voicemail message. But if you don't, you leave it alone for the time frame you said you was going to leave it alone for, and you call 30, 60, or 90 days out. That format is something I've developed over the years and continues to work to this very day. Interesting. Now, Tony, what if you do get his or hers assistant? Yeah. Because how much of what you just laid out changes? None of it. Except- or, doesn't, or doesn't change? <laughs> None of it, except right. you don't call Vito's private assistant Vito's name. So, so you know, usually this is, this is another thing that salespeople please get and get it today. We need to become active listeners. Here's how this works. In my personal experience, when I pick up my 3,000 pound phone and call Vito's office and Tommy, Vito's personal assistant, Tommy picks up the phone, you know what they normally say? They normally say something pretty darn close to this. This is Tommy and Ms. Importante's office. How can I help you? I have the assistant to the president of someone that fits to your deal, your ideal customer profile and my tip asking me how I can, how they can help me. This is a golden opportunity for you to show this person how much of an active listener you are. All you have to do is say, geez, thanks for the offer for you to help me. Perhaps the best way to help both of our organizations is to, and now go right into your towards and away statement. Don't pass this up. You're going to show this person. By the way, it's been, again, my personal experience. Females are much better listeners than men, period, across the board. (laughs) And when you show this person that you're responding to their offer to help you, golden, absolutely golden. Okay. And would you change anything if you just went down the email route? Same thing. Bookends. Yes. The voicemail. Moving away, moving towards with a bookend. Now, here's the thing. You might leave a voicemail message for someone down on the bowels of a company. And and most of the time, their voicemail boxes are full. They're not returning calls to anybody. They're probably not listening. But when you leave a voicemail message for any CEO, president, owner, or other privileged C-suite executive, somebody is listening. Yes. Picture yourself. When you leave your voicemail messages, I picture myself landing a glider. I've never been in a glider. I don't want to go in a glider. I don't know how to fly a glider, but one thing I know for sure with a glider, you have one shot at it. It's not touch and go time with a glider. It's touch and land and walk away from it. So picture yourself landing a glider. 
I know. He said, well, gee, Tony, I think you could erase and re-record. I ain't counting on it. I'm going to be the best me I can be and nail it. So what does that mean? I practice it all the time and I expect to get it all the time. Picture that glider landing and you in the cockpit as the pilot. Make it the best you can make it. Yeah, you know, on this assistant, um, <clears throat> some of the things that I've thought about over the years is just basic human behavior. And when I th- and I always try to sit in the seat of the individual that I'm speaking to. And I yeah. think the people that do that, they they have just great outcomes, no matter who you're talking to, to Vito, to an assistant, to um, one of the chief lieutenants. Um, yeah. I just wanted to highlight something that you said, like when I am speaking to an assistant, I am very cognizant of that person's role that they're supposed to sift out and sort through the wheat from the chaff. That's their job. And so I really try to practice just assuming that I'm going to get, you know, speak to an assistant and I want to be audible ready. And I, I, what will make it so that it will just be a pass through I don't want to have to give them any tasks or anything like that. I want to make the conversation so compelling that they don't want to have to decipher. They want to be sitting there thinking, "Uh oh, I can't afford not to let this information go through. Yes. It's just human behavior. Yes, John. And here's the thing. Saluting their uniform. Yeah. uh, Here's the thing. I would never, ever, ever say to an executive's private assistant, is Vito in? They could be standing right next to them. He's never in. I will never say, would you take a message and get it to Vito? Vito, they don't work for me. They work for Vito. And so on top of all of this, when you're done talking to Vito's private assistant and they say to you, you know, uh, like I, I could say, I could say to an ending question, ending question of my opening statement for the Vito's private assistant, gee, Tommy, what's the best way for us to pursue this conversation with you and your organization? Just like I would say to Vito, yep. you know, what they're going to say, and I want you to pay close attention to this because when it happens to you, go, oh, this is just what Tony said would happen. <laughs> they're going to say, Well, knowing Vito, the way I know Vito, she is going to want you to, you ask in Tommy, you receive in Vito. It's classic, man. It's absolutely classic. So now they're going to tell you what Vito would normally do. So you say, yep, salute the earphone. Will do. Thank you very much. Don't say stuff like, well, gee, would you like for me to keep you informed as to what I... Don't do that stuff. Come on. You just do it. Do it in an appropriate way. And here's the first appropriate way. So Tommy sends you off to uh, the COO or the CTO or the CIO or whatever trusted advisor. And here again, we talked about this in the first session. Don't accept the shunt that's too low. If you do, well, if, if they suggest a shunt that's too low, that tells me that you're you said something that indicated to them that you need to talk to someone in Linoleumville. But so anyway, you need to control that shunt. The best way to control it is with the words and phrases you use. But here's the deal. You hang up the phone on your desk, on your desk. I want to see a pile 
of thank you notes with postage on envelopes. Not a metered, a lick and stick, peel and stick, postage, seasonal, beautiful postage, beautiful thank you card. You are going to write a handwritten thank you note to Tommy. Right then and there, Tommy, thank you for your insights into your organization and the opportunity to speak with your COO. Um, All the best, Tony. Boom. Put it in the envelope. Put the address on it. Mail it that day. The next call you make to Vito's office, have you ever walked down a red carpet? Do you know what it's like to walk down? A, you know what it's like to have someone welcome your call because you took the time not to send them a text, not to send them an email, but to actually write with a pen on a card and send it. Do it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, so Tony. Yeah, I think you give it. You, I think you've given us the guardrails. But let's say you do get through, put through to veto. The conversation starts. To your point, they interrupt you. Do you have any rules or guardrails to guide us through the conversation before we, you know, close for what we want or what veto wants? Or, yeah. Yes. Well. Yes. Hundred percent. Yes, They're, the conversational guardrails, and I love that guardrails is so visual. I, I I can see the guardrails. Okay, so here's the conversational guardrails. Keep it simple. If I could say it with ten words, that doesn't mean a hundred words is ten times better. Keep it simple. Keep your talk time down. Ask, have an asking style, not a telling style. Ask intelligent business questions. And when Vito uses a word in answering them that you don't understand or you need to clarify, ask for clarification. Gee, Vito, you just used the word fragmented when you were talking about your sales process. Tell me a little bit more about that, please. You will be amazed that one word in a conversation will take you in an entirely different direction. So our style as salespeople should be an asking style, not a telling style. And don't ask stupid questions or premature questions. Well, G. Vito, what's your marketing strategy to capture the Pacific marketplace for your widgets this year? I'm not going to tell you that. And so don't ask premature questions that you have no business asking until you've established trust. So the guardrail is no closed-ended questions. Use intelligent business questions that always spin around Vito's personal expectations. As a matter of fact, um, your call objectives for your first call with Vito, it's three of them. Here, here, listen to this. I want you to listen to all of it, but this is particularly kind of interesting. So the first call objective with a Vito, um, 
is to uncover specific goals, plans, and objectives over some period of time. And hopefully our towards and away statement will get us close to that. Our towards and away statement might nail it, or our towards and away statement might bring something else up in Vito's mind. Well, look, that's not important to us right now, but here's what we're doing. And so back to your ideal customer profile, those personas in which you instruct salespeople to do will fit in very nicely to that first question, specific goals, plans, and objectives over some period of time. Now, if your towards and away statement doesn't uncover that, here's a question that will. Mr. Benefito, where would you like to see the biggest improvement in the shortest period of time? In, if you want to fill in the blank or just stop right there, in your sales process, in your procurement cycle, in your supply chain, whatever, uh, in your revenue generating activity, in your cost cutting activity, in increasing efficiencies and effectiveness, in your risk mitigation, in your sustainability. You could put something after that, but sometimes you just, where do you want to see the biggest improvements in your shortest period of time? Done. That will get you closer to specific goals, plans, objectives over a, period, a certain period of time. Here's the next uh, call objective. Paying attention to the guardrails. <clears throat> Second one, um, Mr. Benefito, what are your personal expectations of a company and an individual that can do that? Done. And do that between now and the end of the first quarter and do it with about a 300% return on investment. Hmm. What are your personal expectations of the return of investment that you're expecting? You can move that question around, but always ask personal expectations because no one but Vito can answer that. Now, let's just say Vito tells you that. And I know we're kind of going down the path where Vito's very agreeable, but you know what? Vito's are very agreeable people when you're dealing with stuff and you're talking about stuff that they want to do. So now, third question, guardrail. Mr. Benefito, if we could do what we say we can do right now and exceed your personal expectations, could you see yourself writing a check out? And now, what's your average size sale? Uh, is it $300,000? What's a robust sale? Is it a half a million? Go for the half a million. Could you see yourself investing a half a million dollars with the return on investment that we're talking about by now and the end of the half or the end of the quarter? Put time with it. So goals, plans, and objectives, personal expectations. Would you pick me and my organization? And I know I just gave you a closed-ended question, and I did it intentionally because I gave Vito a way out. Just like I can give Vito a way out in the second call objective, I can ask Vito, you know, who in your organization, who else in your organization needs to be weigh in on this? Or, 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 or who should we be talking to? And when they say, well, go talk to so-and-so, you could always wrap it back and say, well, before we talk to that person, what are you looking for in a business relationship? So those three areas with the guidepost of keeping it in Vito's world is really where you need to be now. Don't blame it on dumb luck if your first conversation with Vito goes on for 20 minutes. It went on for 20 minutes. They put everything else on hold because 
they were interested in what you had to offer them. So I'm often asked, well, how long does the first conversation last? Well, I've had it last a click and a dial tone. That's pretty quick. And I've also had it last much longer than I'd ever expect. And it was not dumb luck. It was because you were following a process that resonated with Vito in the subject matter you were using in that process. This is simple stuff, because if it was difficult, I personally never would have been able to reach mastery at it. Don't make it more difficult than it has to be. Now, Tony, if you did your homework, you read their annual report, you read the 10Q, you ran the 10K, you made the statements of social proof of moving away from pain, moving towards reward for, as you put it, the fifth largest company in the tri-state area. Is there any reason you couldn't ask who Vito is holding personally accountable for that specific strategic initiative? And would he be willing to make an intro? Yes. Yes. But, but here's, here's a couple of things. Yes to that. But let me go back. You said, if you said the word, if, if we looked at folks, when you look at, and instead of trying to figure out, you know, I, I'm not an MD. You mean when, when we looked at the 10 K and the 10 and the annual report. Yeah. I don't know how to read a 10K, but I sure as hell know how to read a manager's report that's filed every quarter with the SEC that shows how Vito's company is doing measured, measured by their, their annual report. And so if they say in their annual report, we're going to be sustainable, we're going to cut our CO2 emissions, whatever. If they say that, the manager's report has to report how they're doing with regards to their goals. So make it really quick, man. Just look at the manager's report. And you know what? I own one share of stock in every company that I'm doing business with or want to do business with. You know why I own one share of stock? Gives me a reason to look at the stock reports, you know, and it also makes me a shareholder. And I get also a pile of stuff mailed to me. And so I don't have to go scratching around for this stuff just by one share of stock if they're publicly traded. And so, yes, the manager's report's important. Um, and now I forgot the ending. What was the ending? Oh, the, yes, you can do what you're talking about doing. But when you, in, you invite the shunt, when you invite the shunt, make sure at the end. And what did you say, Johnny Mack? You said something about can I? Well, personally, the person that they personally hold accountable for that strategic initiative, because maybe, you know, based upon your ideal cope profile and the use case that aligns directly to their strategic initiative. You want to get on that project, but you, so, and maybe you're a little late to the game. So you want to get an introduction like now. So if you know it, right. If you know the persona, your point about your ideal customer profile. So, you know, typically it's the COO, right. You know that through your experience, the research you've done, then don't ask Vito who it is suggest who it might be. You know, at this point, would it be best for us to communicate with your COO? Mm. 
Gotcha. Is, that the person, is that the person you're holding most? Here again, that's a closed ended question. But watch what what happens. He might say, "What? No, well, no, it's somebody else. Yeah. Perfect. Or here's the deal. Um, we have a opening for our COO. So our VP of finance is taking this role. Um, and what we will find out about Vito, the more trust we earn, the more they will share with us about what's going on in their organization. So here, let's play this out. So they say, go talk to the VP of finance. <clears throat> because our COO spots open. So you go talk to the VP of finance, you, you see if you could exceed his or her expectations, you report back to Vito and say, wow, thanks for that. Guess what? We're able to exceed their expectations in this area. And, and don't be surprised if Vito says, well, that's really good because we're grooming him to be our next COO or something. And they'll start sharing stuff with you as you gain and earn their trust. So the key here, do whatever it is you were you said you were going to do and do it in a bigger and better way. Under promise, over deliver on everything. Yeah. Hey, Tony. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, John. Did you have a follow up on that? Close. So, <laughs> Tony, you get invited in. You're in that conversation. Vito says, this sounds fantastic. In fact, I want you to come on into my office and tell me more about it. Yeah. Pet peeve of mine is that a lot of people go in armed with like 40 different PowerPoint slides. Do you recommend that they go in with any PowerPoint slides or do they go in again with social proof of different companies with the metrics of moving toward and moving away. Your briefing to Vito should not be 78 slides, three slides, only three slides. Each one of those slides needs to have less than 10 words. And each one of those slides doesn't show all 10 words at the same time. It dissolves into those 10 words. And you don't speak for any more than 30 seconds on any slide. Think about that. Because if you can't say it in 30 seconds and make it stick, they're not going to hear it. They're not going to listen to it. They're going to be thinking about something else. So we should probably have an entire podcast on just how to do that and what you need to say and how you need to say it. So. And don't ever forget, and, 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 and Johnny Mac, you're talking about going into Vito's office. Don't ever forget the power of a notebook. You could write stuff down. You could flip the pages and say, oh, look at this. Now Vito's looking at something. And when you're done, give him the notebook. Give her the notebook. And so you can leave your computer behind, but you can also make it very interactive. You know, you can have a block diagram on a piece of paper and say, this is generally the way we proceed on this. What's that? How's that look to you? Or show me where you fit in or show me this or show me. Now it becomes a working document that Vito's engaged in. There's three ways that people learn. Three, auditory, visual, 
kinesthetic, which means yeah. they're interacting with you. So when you're just showing something on a PowerPoint slide, they're not interacting. They need to touch it. They need to feel it. They need to draw an X through it or a circle around it or an arrow to it. Use color markings, you know, color pens, and it should have your logo on it with your your little telephone number on at the end. Here, keep it all. It's all yours. But what about the whiteboard? I mean, I've always, I mean, I personally like to grab the marker, stand at the whiteboard and paint the picture Yes. for Vito. And yes. then I found like I'm painting the picture along the way. Yes. He's staying with me here. She's staying with me. And then they're asking questions as I go. And I try to simplify it. Yes. The, sto- the whiteboard story is if I'm talking to my grandmother and I always felt like if I couldn't explain it as if I'm talking to my grandmother, I really don't know it. And I'm never going to get the concepts across to Vito. And don't I ever- found that that's a lot more powerful than PowerPoint yeah. slides or even having a notebook because maybe Vito invited three other people to the meeting. Yeah, that's OK. They can invite as many people as they want. When a question comes up from any one of those, you answer it in for veto first and then for the person who asked it. Never, ever, ever direct your attention to someone else in the rooms answering their question without first relating it back to veto, then go to that person. Also, when you're standing at that whiteboard, would you take the marker and, and, and invite veto to stand there with you? When you're in Vito's office, don't get real comfortable and sit back, you know, and always take notes and always, you know, is it okay if I take notes? Do that. And they'll say, sure, it's okay to take notes. And at some point in the conversation, they might say, hey, Tony, don't write this down. I'm building trust because Vito doesn't want me to write it down. They just want me to hear it. Mm. Active listening and your behavior never, ever, ever put something on Vito's desk without asking them, is it okay if I set this here? There's a a picture, picture yourself with a circle around it. A three foot circle is your personal zone. You don't want people coming into that zone without asking for an invitation to do so. So sit up straight. Ask to take notes, always take notes. As a matter of fact, I don't want to get up and get it right now, but I have Vito journals, leather bound, fabric bookmark, gold gilded pages, Vito journals. Whenever I'm speaking to a Vito or in Vito's presence, I have my Vito journal. Many times, Vito's will look, what is that you have there? Oh, this? This is my very important top officer journal. When I'm speaking to CEOs, I always take notes. And I use the title of them. Always take notes in a special place. Why here, look at this. Just last month, I was having a conversation and I can go back and point to it. Also, folks, if you want to reach mastery in selling to Vito, as you get to know Vito's, now I know you don't maybe know many now, or maybe you do, and as you get to know them, when you have an appointment with them, not on your first appointment, but second, third, or fourth, have a Wall Street Journal, that daily Wall Street Journal tucked under your arm. 
At the end of the meeting, you can say to Vito, Vito, would you do me a personal favor? He says, yeah, what's on your mind, Tony? Would you take this highlighter and today's Wall Street Journal, just pan through it very quickly and highlight any article that catches your attention? Sure. Boom, boom, boom. They go through their highlight, maybe five articles. Maybe they've already read them today. Then you say, would you just take any one article, take that highlighter and highlight the important words to you? I've done this many, many times. That's why I know the language they speak and what's important to them. So as you grow your book of business and selling, you know, make sure you circle back and learn from them how they think, what catches their attention, what words and phrases are important to them, and start to put together your own vetopedia. Then when you write to vetoes, use those references and become an industry expert. There's a big difference between information and knowledge and experience. Vetoes look for people who have knowledge and experience in their industry. Yeah. Johnny? Yeah, the last thing that I wanted to make sure that we covered today was this topic about um, descriptive versus non-descriptive words. Um, and, and you're kind of a stickler on this, you know, making sure that you use descriptive words versus non-descriptive words with Vito. Would you kind of tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, you know, descriptive words and phrases um, are soft dollar value. It's a way to articulate soft dollar value. There's only two types of values in a Vito's world. Hard dollar value, which is measured using numbers or percentages, right? Or soft dollar value, which is used using descriptive words and phrases. For example, the descriptive word, it's like a word picture. Like when I say the word elephant, you don't see it on a piece of paper. You see an elephant, right? So word pictures um, are important to Vito. So a hard dollar value would be something like, um, the possibility of increasing margins by as much as 2% within the next nine months. That's hard dollar value. Soft dollar value would, would be a descriptive word or phrase like substantially or measurably increasing shareholder value or margins mm -hmm. by as much as, you know, or just not, you know, meant to the percentage. So the, the descriptive word or phrase would, would be measurably or substantially increasing margins of, you know, uh, whatever. So, so it's void of numbers or percentages. It uses descriptive words and phrases. So that's what I mean by that. Word pictures are important. Yeah. Excellent. It does. Yeah. Tony. Yeah. <laughs> we may have to do number three because we ran way over an hour. <laughs> and I'm sure the audience is loving it. So we may have to do the whole thing when you're, you're finally in the room with the, with Vito and, you know, how do you handle a lot of, a lot of different things, which we covered some of it, but maybe not in depth that, you know, you would like to. So Tony Paranello, once again, 
You are a freaking champ. You are good at what you do. You. And I can see why you got a best-selling book. I mean, it's a super duper best-selling book. And anybody that hasn't read Selling to Vito has to go out there and buy a copy like now. And if you need somebody for SKO or, you know, your, your sales kickoff or some training, Tony Paranel is the man. Kaplan and I had him in one time at a, another company and he did a phenomenal job. The, the entire sales force loved it. And it changed a lot of things that we did in the sales force almost immediately. Thank you. So Tony, thank you very much for joining us again. And I'm going to let Johnny close it up here. It, Tony, remind us also the audience again, thank you so much for um, the two sessions you did with us. I can see another session, you know, being, so we talked about how to prepare. We talked about how to execute and now kind of following up because most of the time Vito is involved in our sales process, but is not our sales process. And so I think a, a great kind of follow-up context will be how do we keep Vito involved throughout the process? But how do our people, um, how do our people get a hold of you, get access to you? Where are you? You know, social media, that type of thing. Just remind us again, how do we interact with you? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so LinkedIn, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, just type in my name, Tony Paranello or Selling to Vito. Um, same with online, you know, you can go on our website, Vito Selling, uh, Vito Corporate Sales Training, where anything regards to Vito, uh, you can usually find me. Uh, or you could reach out to me by, by email at Vito, uh, Vito at sellingtovito.com is my personal uh, email address. Uh, our CEO, Chief Everything Officer, Beth at sellingtovito.com. You could reach out to Beth as well. Um, and yeah, so, so thank you for having me. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Every time um, I go through an interview, I always judge the people, not judge, I shouldn't say judge, but I always, always look at the in individuals who are interviewing me. And you two guys know how to get the best out of everybody. You ask questions, you redirect, you interrupt, you do everything with style and grace and elegance, and, and you're very kind. And I really appreciate your style and I appreciate this opportunity to talk to everyone. And so, so thanks for having me. And yeah, maybe there's a veto part three that we could do. I'm always Amen. available to you two guys. You're, you're, you're here. You're my heroes. So thank you very much. And thanks. then Tony, right back at you. Thank you, Tony. And for all of you listening, thank you for listening to revenue builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. management.com.